Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Berluminati, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. My name is John. And this is Jake. And before we get into this episode, we should probably say this is the very last episode of season one. Correct. Yes. The third part of our infrastructure series, which is today, is the very last episode of season one, episode 31. So I'm not sure if we're going to take a break between seasons or not. We may release a couple of bonus episodes after this episode. Yeah. For you guys to uh, check out, we are shooting for no break. Yeah. Uh, so season one is going to roll straight into season two. The hope. Um, that's what we're shooting for. We may have a break, but we will put it all over our social media if we do. But we are shooting for no break, and there may be a couple special dep- special edition episodes. We may drop the stout episode we recorded and haven't released a while back. Oh, we yeah. may put the pilot episode out just That'll for you guys scary. in case you're really interested in hearing. <laughs> it's horrible. The recording quality is horrible. It's bad. There's so much no background noise. It was raining, and the mic was picking up all I the rain noises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but that's where the show started with yeah. the pilot. So we may drop that as something cool for you Did, guys. To didn't we to. record that on November 11th, 2020? Something like that. Or September yeah, yeah. 11th, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was on 9-11 and we recorded that. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, let's go ahead and jump in. So today yeah. I'm going to tell you guys another story. Ada Longmore and her husband had just returned from the hospital where they had refilled her oxygen tank. It was a weekly ritual for the couple and one that was incredibly important for Ada's health. She worked as a home health aide until very recently she needed to start breathing from an oxygen tank to stay upright. When they got back to their building in the Bronx, Ada and her husband realized that the elevator was out and all the electricity was off. They waited for a bit. Then Ada, a young 73, decided they'd hoof it up the stairs. With her oxygen turned on, they'd started climbing the stairs. With each landing, she took a bit of a break, but kept going and going and going. When Ada reached the 18th floor, something was wrong. She fiddled with her oxygen tank, but then started having serious trouble breathing. Neither she nor her husband could get it going, and because the power was out, they were trapped 18 stories up in a Bronx co-op. Ada died on the steps, gasping for oxygen. Paramedics couldn't reach her in time because the elevators were out due to an area-wide power outage caused by a transformer fire. Sadly, Ada's death isn't rare. In Texas last winter, more than 100 people died. In New York in 2003, another 100 died due to a power outage. And in other parts of the world, thousands have died from power grid failures. Today on Berluminati, we're going to talk about electricity, specifically how it gets into your home, and more specifically, how fragile that entire system really is. There have been thousands of blackouts in the last decade and several attempts by terrorists and bad folks to shut down the power for millions. Can we stop the inevitable disaster? Let's find out. But first, let's talk about some beer. Jake, what you drinking? Uh, 
Again, you don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's something. So uh, when we started this infrastructure series, I, I swung by uh, the pharmacy in Cary, which is like my preferred bottle shop. The go-to. Great place. Yeah. And I just kind of picked up a bunch of beers that I don't usually drink. Just and weird shit. Just weird. Like I just looked for weird shit. And this one stood out to me uh, because it's a, a 16 ounce can with a stick on label with a gigantic flamingo. It is hot pink all the way around. And then in Miami Vice letters, it says maximum Florida. And then below that, it describes the beer as a imperial Berliner Vice with dragon fruit, passion fruit, mango, pineapple, pink guava, key lime, tangerine, toasted coconut, marshmallows, and milk sugar. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. That's the um, fucking blender series on steroids. Yeah, it's crazy. And it, and it is a lot. It's from Westbrook Brewing Company down in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Never heard of them before. Love the label. The label stood out to me as someone from South Florida. Miami Vice, best show on TV. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm from, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. So, you know, yeah. it speaks to me. Miami Vice rules, dude. Yeah. And I grew up in the 80s in Fort Need Lauderdale. Need a sick Countach. Yeah. <laughs> it was a Testarossa. <laughs> what? Oh, shit. Yeah. And then before that, it was two Ferrari Daytona Spiders. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I know a little bit about things. A little bit about little Miami bit about Vice. Things. I yeah. clearly have not watched a ton of Miami <laughs> Vice, but what I have, I'm like, this shit rules. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> show. But anyways, uh, this beer, um, with all of those words in it, it does run the risk of browning out and just kind of becoming brown flavor. This beer has encountered the brown. Yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> I'm going to take another sip. It doesn't go full brown. Like a lot of the, the flavors all kind of mush together. <laughs> it doesn't go full. <laughs> you never go full you brown. You never go full brown. <laughs> we did have, I don't remember what the beer, we had a couple, one or two beers that have gone full brown. This one definitely does not. They go black. If you go full brown, yeah. it's black. <laughs> then you never come back. This is a different kind of full brown where well, you just did too much. You tried to do too much. Yeah. And then for some reason, they dump like lactose and marshmallow in it. Yeah. I feel like it probably would have been better without that. Yeah, right. it would have been very like clean and fruity if you didn't do that. But then yeah. that makes it this kind of like thick thickness. Is it and frothy? Is that kind of a frothiness to it? It's not so much frothy. It just makes it like fun dippy. Like there's like like a like a thick like the stick. Like powderiness to it. Yeah. Okay. Like that one sour you had that has like the fun dip stick aftertaste. Yeah, the there's, tricycle prince. Yeah, exactly. This kind of has that a similar aftertaste where it like your whole mouth is coated and drawn towards it. Yeah. It's not bad. I wouldn't drink two of them. Um, but yeah. It's not bad. It's not horrible. Um, I would revisit this brewery if I knew who they were or yeah. anything. <laughs> you know, this was like a random yeah. beer I picked up. Um but yeah, I th I think they went too far and it just didn't work out. Yeah. So uh, I can see that. Yeah. What? Uh, and there's no mention of what the ABV is or anything on the can at all. So I've no. It, this could be twenty percent. I have no idea. Um, I doubt it is. Uh, Imperial Berliner Weiss is probably like five six percent or something. I don't know. Um. So uh, what do you got going on over there? I have a very different thing. I probably have one of the most recognizable North Carolina beers because it's been around for freaking forever. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say it's my favorite beer, but it's definitely one of those old school legendary beers. Like if you've drank North Carolina beer and you haven't had this. Yeah. What are you doing? 
Yeah, you probably should at least have one. It's just super old school for being North Carolina beer because this brewery has been around for freaking forever as far as craft beer goes. Yeah. But I have the CBC or Carolina Brewing Company Pale Ale. This is their flagship beer, and this brewery has been around since 1995. So, I mean, oh, wow, been, that long. I didn't yeah, realize. Yeah. Nine, it says Brewers of Tasty Liquids since 1995. Wow. Okay. They opened one year before Hurricane Fran came through and decimated the whole area. Wow. So, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> but yeah, no, this brewery's just been around forever, and this beer has been around forever. Yeah. So it's it's one of those ones they've been making in a while. Um, bottled and brewed, brewed and bottled by Carolina Brewing Company, which is in Holly Springs, North Carolina. Their brewery is about twenty minutes from here, from where we are. Is it really? Yeah, it's not far that. at all. It's right down fifty five outside Apex, like oh. you're headed towards Holly Springs. I was just over there. Yeah, it's like it's off like a back road back there. It's it's pretty sick to go here because like you you know they have all their beer and shit. Um, anyways, I mean, there's just not much to it. They do all their beer in bottles. So yeah. it's brown amber bottles with paper stick on labels. I think they're really cool. Um, so everything on here is, you know, totally recyclable, which is cool. Nice. Um, they don't really have much on here as far as description. Everything goes because the paper labels, it's just brown, yellow and purple text with the CBC lion. Kind of old school. Yeah. Very yeah. old school. Um, but when you go on your website, it's uh, 5.1% ABV, 36 IBUs. It is a classic American style pale ale. So, you know, if you, if anybody out there knows all about APAs, this is a very classic APA. Uh, and their description says this golden colored beer is an American style pale ale. Three varieties of American-grown hops create a pleasing bitterness, aroma, and lingering hop taste. Our pale ale's medium light body and clean taste make it excellent accompaniment uh, to a fine meal or a satisfying drink, uh, but all by itself. And I mean, I would agree as far as like APAs go. I mean, this is just like as classic an APA as you can get. Yeah. It's real drinkable. Uh, it's not really bursting with flavor. It's definitely on the light medium side and flavor, light medium side on body. Um, golden, definitely it's a lot. Definitely golden. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's that Pilsner color with lots of extra pea color. So very <laughs> in the golden realm. And it definitely has this like little hint of back end hop stink. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, definitely not quite. IPA range. Right, right. You know, but a little bit of stank. Yeah. A little, little bit of stank in there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a very solid middle of the road, super classic APA style pale ale, light body, medium stank. It's kind of like a North Carolina legend. Like, it's like an old school. It's kind of like in California, they have um, Sierra Nevada pale ale. Yeah. Which that's made here now, too. Right. Yeah. So, like, but this is like kind of our Sierra Nevada pale ale, you know? Yeah, and I I I like this a li- I like this better than Sierra Nevada. I agree. I like this better than I like the Sierra Nevada pale. Yeah, Sierra, Sierra Nevada is a little heavier. Yeah, it's it's like a denser. Like, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if it's the bubbles or just the thickness. So yeah. something about it is, I I can't drink more than like two Sierra Nevadas. Like it gets in my stomach. I think the Sierra Nevada pale ale is a little bit more on the medium medium heavy Pro- on the body. Yeah, in yeah. flavor, and it has a. a a lot more hop stank. If I Definitely, remember. yeah, yeah. This is way lighter. Yeah, 
in the APA range. Yeah. Of being medium light body, uh, very light back end hops tank. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm not a big fan of like the Sierra Nevada pale ale, but I like their variants of it. Yeah. Like the tropical or the, what, no, the torpedo. I think they call it like, I like the other variants. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but this is a great beer. It's it's a classic. This is the beer like when you go to a house party in North Carolina. There's usually like a cooler full of this somewhere around. Pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's yeah. just like it's like the old school go to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's solid. It's a good drinking beer. Like this is definitely one where like with the Sierra Nevada, if that's a little too heavy for you, you can only really yeah. drink one. Yeah, you could drink two or three or four of these and be all good. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. let's talk about some electrical grid it. shit because I know the stuff over this winter when COVID was just going on slammed through Texas, Texas yeah. and that was horrible. Um, I have family down there and they were just telling me about how horrible it was. So Yeah. Yeah, it was brutal. There's, there's, so we're going to start with kind of unnatural and then move into natural stuff. So um, Ooh, unnatural. Unna- ghosts in the grid. <laughs> and, uh is it no it's ghost of the machine is that what it is i don't know yeah um so about a decade ago there was a guy named dr peter vincent pry who went in front of congress and gave this really long talk that was titled and it was all in capitals too so it was kind of like like ooh it was titled the emp threat the state of preparedness against the threat of an electromagnetic pulse event this is what that book we were talking about exactly. last episode is about. One yeah. second after, it's about an EMP going off over North Carolina. Yeah, well, I or think over, over the, the whole, East Coast, the whole country. I think maybe. Yeah, I don't remember if it's East Coast. Yeah, it's, I haven't gotten that far into it yet. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. So like this guy, he gave the talk uh, about five years after the book came out. Um, so. The idea of an EMP wiping out the electric grid is nothing new. TV shows and movies mentioned EMPs all the way back to the 1960s, uh, but it really picked up steam in the 80s when the Cold War was coming into all of our homes on a daily basis through the news. So first, let I mean, almost everybody knows what it is, but let's go ahead and define what an EMP is. It's an electromagnetic pulse, also sometimes called a transient electromagnetic disturbance by no one, no one calls it that. And uh, it's basically just a short burst of electromagnetic energy that like freaks everything out and breaks electrics, uh, electronics. The pulse's origin may be a natural occurrence or human man, human made and can occur as a radiated electric or magnetic field or a conducted electrical current, depending on the source. EMP disturbances tend to be very disruptive and can severely damage electronic equipment and at higher energy levels, a powerful EMP event such as a lightning strike or something along those lines can actually physically damage objects such as buildings and aircraft. Most superpowers on the planet have developed weapons, not superpowers like Superman, really, you know, like Russia, China, etc. Uh, have developed weapons capable of delivering both wide and targeted EMP attacks capable of damaging electrical equipment. Just last year, Chinese military threatened to use an EMP weapon on U.S. aircraft carriers in the South Seas of China to disable them. Uh, they were pretty bold doing this and like threatening this. But what they knew at the end of the day is that the EMP wouldn't hurt anyone on the ship. Yeah. So they felt pretty secure about making that a threat. Yeah. You know, because they're not saying like, I'm going to blow your ship up. They're just saying, I'm going to strand you there. And then you got to send some other goofball out there to pick all those sailors up, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So according to research from the United States Department of Homeland Security, EMP weapons have the potential to disrupt unprotected critical infrastructure within the United States and could impact tens of millions over large parts of the country and obviously way, way more. So uh, who was this Dr. Pry guy who went in front of Congress? He served on the staffs of the Congressional Commission on the Strategic Posture of the United States. That's a thing. Uh, he was on the commission on the new strategic posture of the United States. He was a, he was on a couple other commissions. One was the, uh, commission to assess the threat to the United States from electromagnetic pulse, which is relevant to us. Uh, he was also an intelligence officer with the CIA responsible for analyzing Soviet and Russian nuclear strategy, operational plans, military doctrine, threat perceptions, and developing U.S. paradigms for strategic warning. That was way back from like 1985 to 1995. So this guy was in the thick of it during the Cold War. Yeah. He also served as a verification analyst at the U.S. Arms Control and Disarmament Agency, responsible for assessing Soviet compliance with strategic and military arms control treaties. That was uh, uh, 1984 to 1985. And this dude has also written like dozens of books and hundreds of scholarly articles about just how screwed up our electrical grid is. And he writes all these things and he just like screams at Congress endlessly. Like this dude just tells them they're blowing it. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read his opening statement to Congress because it's like very, very powerful. He brings out the big old electrical grid guns. Oh, oh yeah. He brings the gun. He brings the fire. All right. Let's hear it. Um, what I think we must understand about the threat is that it is not merely theoretical. It is a real threat in the military doctrines of Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. They plan to make a nuclear EMP attack against the United States period. That's it. We have seen North Korea and Iran exercise this, including by launching ballistic missiles off of a freighter at sea, which would enable the possibility of an anonymous EMP attack. During the nuclear crisis we had with North Korea in 2013, it was the worst nuclear crisis we've had yet with Kim Jong-un, and he was threatening to make nuclear missile strikes against the United States in the aftermath of, of their third illegal nuclear test. In the midst of that crisis, North Korea orbited a satellite over the South Pole that passed over the territory of the United States on the optimum trajectory and altitude to both evade our national missile defense and, had that been a nuclear warhead, to place an EMP field over all 48 contiguous United States that would have had catastrophic consequences. That was the KSM-3 satellite. That satellite still passes over us, and it's still in orbit and passes over us with regularity. Another thing that must be understood is that EMP is part of a larger part of military doctrine that they consider a revolution in military affairs. That basically, it's a combined arms operation with cyber attacks, physical sabotage, non-nuclear EMP weapons, and nuclear EMP weapons, and it's the most decisive instrument all used together and coordinated in a formula new blitzkrieg, except one that's waged in cyberspace to basically bring a civilization down to its knees so that a failed state like Iran or North Korea could theoretically defeat and destroy a highly advanced society such as our own. Dang. Yeah. That really was some fire. He was laying <laughs> it down. Yeah. Brought I the mean, facts and everything. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, also this guy, this is like his gig. Like he, his whole life is talking about how somebody's going to come in and mess us up with an EMP. You yeah. Know? Um, and I mean, everything he's saying is right. 
you know, North Korea has been, you know, chomping at the bit to do this for years. And that's one of the interesting things about something like an EMP attack is that it could be carried out by a relatively small group. Like all they need is a missile, you know? Yeah. And so anyways, for a lot of the congressmen in the room, this was entirely news to them. They hadn't heard anything like this outside of fictional movies, but like Dr. Price said, it's very, very true. So the real question is, what did Congress do about it? Nothing. Jack shit. They, well, Trump went and played golf with Kim Jong-un, so that's <laughs> what we eventually did. About. I'm just <laughs> Right, right. Uh, uh, well, one thing they did do was they moved NORAD uh, back into Cheyenne Mountain, which is uh, hardened against EMPs. Yeah. So that was one step they did take, which was a fairly easy step, but it was, you know, that's an important one too. Yeah. Um, it wasn't for uh, a half a decade until 2019 when Trump, who was playing golf with Kim Jong-un, uh, <laughs> signed a executive order uh, that where things got kind of serious in protecting ourselves from this very odd threat. Uh, Trump's executive order said, it is the policy of the United States to prepare for the effects of EMPs through targeted approaches that coordinate whole of government activities and encourage private sector engagement. Um, they think that Dr. Pry probably had a part in writing this. Yeah. Um, it also said the federal government must provide warning, protect against, respond to, and recover from the effects of electromagnetic pulses through planning, investment, and stakeholder engagement and prevent EMP attacks through deterrence, defensive capabilities, and nuclear nonproliferation efforts, the order said. It called for prioritizing research and development to address the needs of critical infrastructure stakeholders and implementing pilot programs. The executive order provided a list of implementation instructions to the Department of Homeland Security, Defense, Energy, Commerce, and State, and the Director of National Intelligence. It also put the Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs and the National Security Council in charge of coordinating the executive branch's efforts. So... That's a lot of words to basically say they kind of lit a fire under a couple people's asses and said, we have to first figure out where our weak points are and to button those up because this is a real threat. Yeah. Um, but the government knew people were targeting our electrical grid and not through just setting off EMP devices. They knew there was a direct attack. And on April 16th, 2013, a very sophisticated domestic terrorist assault was carried out on the Pacific Gas and Electric Company's Metcalf Transmission substation in Coyote, California, near the border of San Jose. The attack began just before 1 a.m. on April 16th when someone slipped into an underground vault not far from a busy freeway and cut the telephone cables and fiber optics. They were disabling the alarms and communication channels for that station. 30 minutes later, a group of snipers opened fire on the electrical substation. They fired steadily for 19 entire minutes and crippled 17 gigantic transformers that funnel all of the power to Silicon Valley. Holy shit. Yeah. As the police were arriving on scene due to reports of rapid gunfire in the area, the shooters vanished into the surrounding hills, never to be seen again. No one found anyone. Wow, that's ridiculous. Yeah. No, like... Fingerprints on bullet casings, nothing. They took all the bullet casings with them, all that stuff. Wow. There was no evidence they were even there, essentially. But there is video footage of them. There's a, if you look it up on YouTube, Metcalf Station uh, gunfire attack or something, you can find 
basically a video where you can see it's taken from inside the substation. You just see gunfire going off, like bullets ricocheting and stuff um, for 19 straight minutes. Dang. Yeah. Could you imagine going outside and firing machine guns for 19 minutes? Well, they said <laughs> snipers, right? Yeah, they were pretty far away. They so were, I assume were, it was a handful of dudes with like bolt actions. Uh, no, they they had machine guns. Like two two of them had a. They knew two of them had AK forty sevens. Okay. Um, but they weren't sure what the other guys had. You know, so okay. But yeah, they were directly firing at this stuff. You know, so it's okay. Okay, so they yeah. were just kind of out here spraying, praying. It seemed like from it, kind yeah, of far yeah. away. But they disabled the. They cut all the ground wires to it so that the station couldn't like send out a help signal. Yeah. So like if something breaks, the station sends out like an automated signal. Like yeah, oh, save me, save me. Right. And they killed that before it could happen. Oh. Um, to avoid a blackout in the entire area, electric grid officials rerouted power around the site and asked power plants in Silicon Valley to produce, you know, basically double the electricity to make up for it. But it took utility workers twenty-seven days to repair the trans to repair the transformers. Wow! And to get the substation back to life. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, during that time, they were able to keep the power on because they rerouted power from other places. Yeah. You know, hence grid. You know, right. they can move stuff around. Yeah. At the end of the day, that barely made the news, but it was obviously a coordinated strategic dry run by some sort of highly sophisticated actors. America's adversaries 100% understand that our power grid is the Achilles heel that could very effectively collapse the United States permanently. Dr. Pry told Congress that even though you don't get direct effects on biological humans, the long-term effects without the electric power grid, and we're talking about certainly within a year of it being out, you could lose half of the American population. Damn. 50% if the power was out in the United States for, for, for a year. Yeah. And the main thing is probably food. Right. For, I mean, everything. It's it's all of it. Like well, med- food, medicine. Gas, transportation. Yeah. You know, think about like nursing homes without power, you know. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Pry went on to say that he's seen estimates that it could be as high as 90% of the American population would die if we were out of power for a year, which is insane. It seems like a high number to me. But yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about super urban areas like New York City. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody. Basically. Oh, yeah. Anybody yeah. who can't get out of the city. Yeah, they're dead. Like there's this, yeah. and especially if it's like winter, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it'd be insane. Um one year without power would certainly be extreme and we'll get into the whole repairing things in a minute here. But there's also dangers beyond this direct attack. Um, in 2019, something really weird happened down at the port of Houston. A huge electrical transformer weighing between 250 and 500 tons, which was destined for the Washington Area Power Administration's Alt Colorado substation, was seized by the Department of Energy and the Department of Homeland Security. Just like that, they just took this thing off of the port. Uh, this thing was needed badly because another one had broken and they've been waiting on it for months. Uh, and the feds just grabbed it and they were like, no, it's ours now. And it vanished. What? Yeah. The transformer was taken to the Sandia National Laboratory in Albuquerque and nothing was heard of it since. It was just basically wheeled into a building and nobody heard anything from it. It vanished into this warehouse that, you know, the warehouse at the end of Indiana Jones that they stuck the Ark of the Covenant into. Yeah, there's one one of these in the back of it. Yeah, exactly. They just put it in the back. (laughs) 
and it's believed that the transformer was grabbed because of the fears of backdoor electronics, which could be activated or which were timed by the Chinese manufacturer to change the operation or effect of the electrical grid being attached to it. So they, they had a suspicion that there was some sort of like backdoor code or some sort of like backdoor access that like the Chinese makers mm-hmm. could use to examine or destroy the grid. Yeah. And so they just confiscated it. Oh, that's weird. And meanwhile, the people that needed it were like up shit's Creek. They didn't have anything to do with, you know, they had to order another one. And of course they just ordered another one from China or whatever. Yeah. So who knows what happened to that one? But anyways, not long after this was seized, Trump signed another executive order, which directed utility companies to not purchase bulk power systems from quote unquote adversaries. So he's basically, you know, saying something happened with this. It was right after they seized this thing. Yeah. They um, opened it up and figured out there was some goofy shit going on. And so then they were like, you got to buy from America right. or, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know, a yeah. country that we're not like having trade wars with and stuff. Yeah. And so now basically the only two places you can get that kind of like major equipment from is Germany and South Korea. Shit. All right. Yeah. So, and that's a whole other problem. We don't make these giant transformers at all anymore. You know, China, Germany, South Korea are the places where you can get them. They come over on slow boats and it takes months to order one. And it can take up to 18 months to build a custom one if you need that. And in literally three seconds, a couple of dudes with like AR-15s or an EMP can just destroy this thing. And they cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, Dr. Pry told Congress that it could easily take six months to repair a bunch of giant transformers and that if China cooperated and supplied us with the parts to repair them, if they were the ones who broke them in the first place or attacked us or attacked us, we're pretty much properly fucked on this because we don't even know how to make them anymore. We don't have our own structure or factory building these things, Yeah, you know, and we Maybe it's not that we don't know how to make them. We just don't have the capabilities to produce these right now. Yeah, well, it's, we don't have the manufacturing and the tooling and the expertise and everything right. that you would need to put one together from raw materials. Yeah, exactly. So if we even have the raw materials. Right, which probably not. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what goes into a giant transformer, but I don't know. But I know we don't make them here, you know, for some reason. Um, and and that's wild. Like if if the person is the one attacking us is also the same person who's making these things. That's a huge problem, you know? Yeah. Um, And then aside from that, what about natural disasters? So those are pretty much going to leave us in the dark also. And our, which I mentioned before our apocalypse episode, we covered in depth how a solar flare could utterly destroy the electric grid and even destroy underwater transmission lines. Uh, so if you want to get into that whole episode, that's episode number seven. Highly recommend it. Uh, we talk about what solar flares can do. Um, but yeah, a, a major solar flare can really just wipe out all electricity on the planet. Every yeah. so often when I'm like sitting in my office, because like I work remote and my like phone is connecting slowly or my internet starts to get slow, I just kind of look around and I'm like, are we going through a solar flares? Are yeah. we about to turn off? Yeah. I like wonder about it. Yeah, I, I have times where I'm trying to like load a website and I'm just like, here it is. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> this is the end. And like, no, it's just Adobe sucks or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So if you want to hear about all that really terrifying shit, episode number seven, highly recommend it. Uh, one thing, I, the thing I'm going to focus on here is fires. 
big old fires that just burn huge swaths of forest and land and they've been getting worse every single year due to larger and larger droughts. The south uh, the southwest has been in a drought for like a decade now and it keeps getting worse and worse. Last year 4% of California was on fire. Not 4% of the forests or 4% of the land or whatever, but 4% of the entire state was on fire. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I think about this whole water thing in the Southwest. And so I took a vacation to Las Vegas with my family a while back, a couple years ago. And the, where the Hoover Dam is the Mm -hmm. bottom side of that lake. Yeah. That is the water system that feeds that entire area of Nevada. Right. And basically if you go, if you see a picture of like the Hoover Dam and stuff, the water's high. It's spilling over the thing, and it's it's not like that anymore. No, no. The water is like a hundred and fifty feet down. Yeah, yeah. And there's like basically no more water coming. It's like if yeah. this water system goes away, the in, like the entire of Nevada is just like done. Yeah, and that extends to California too. You know. Yeah, it's bonkers. When when my wife and I moved to California, it didn't rain for the first couple years we were there. Years, and we moved from, not a single time. Yeah. Wow. And we, we moved from Fort Lauderdale. So we were used to rain every day at yeah. three o'clock or whatever. Yeah. And then we there. You know, I had a I had a dog that was three years old before he saw rain. Wow. And he was like, What is this? You know? <laughs> it was crazy. You know, it just it, it literally didn't rain. It was it was one of the worst droughts on recorded history. And now they're saying that this this worst drought in recorded history that we were living through when we were there. Um, in the you know late 2010, mid 2010s, they're now saying that it's actually that was just a blip in a much bigger drought. Yeah. So it's going to be like a super drought. And I saw this chart that I meant to clip off so I could show it to you so I could get your reaction. But it was essentially showing what the expected droughts were for uh, 2019, 2020, and 2021. So if you look at 2019, it was like a few little splotches. 2020 was like a little bit of red in California. And then 2021 was like everything from like Kansas over was dark red, you know? Damn. And it was just insane, completely insane. And, you know, that purely fuels fires. So, you know, last year, 4% of California was on fire and they're estimating that the 2020 fire season is going to be three to five times worse meaning 12 to 20% of the entire state could be on fire at any one time. Holy shit. 20% of California could be burning. That's like everything from like, like San Francisco to Los Angeles, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and in all of those trees are power lines and transformers and all of that stuff. They burn, they pop, they cause overloads. That causes more fires. There's massive blackouts, possibly statewide. That could extend to region wide. And when no water coming in, there's not a lot to, to do with them, you know. And it just gets worse and worse and worse, you know. Yeah, I listened to this um, podcast a while back, and it was basically, I think it was Sam Tripoli, and they were interviewing a guy who had been electrocuted. He was a line worker. Oh, wow. And he was telling this story about how he got electrocuted while he was working as a lineman. And it was in, this was in like California or Oregon or something Oof. like that. And 
basically what happened was he was up on a pole and he doesn't remember anything for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And it's because the last thing he remembers is climbing up the pole. But what they figured out happened was he climbed up the pole. The lines were supposed to be off. Oh, no. And apparently they weren't off. And he went to grab the line to work on it. And whatever it is, 10 million volts. Sure. Went through him and arced into a nail that was in the power pole. Yeah. And it literally like blew like an eight inch chunk out of his leg. Oh. And knocked him off the pole, knocked him out, and basically all of his nerves and his like whole body were like burned. Oh, like just lucky ridiculous stuff. Yeah, and he told, yeah, he talked about how he was like lucky that he lived and all this stuff. And in telling that whole story about what he had like gone through and his rehab and all this stuff, he also talked about how fragile the grid is out there just from a purely power line perspective. Oh, yeah. Basically, they have linemen working along the West Coast 24 hours a day, Mm -hmm. every day, 365 forever, because these lines, there's hundreds of millions of miles of line of cable out there, and it's all ancient. Oh, yeah. And And they're basically like, if the linemen ever stop working, ever, yeah, the grid will just go down purely based on the line. Yeah, I mean, and then add in the drought, so you have like the ground drying out, and yeah. then when it gets water, everything shifts. Yeah, so the poles are going to shift, and the the wires fall fly back and forth. Then you get like these huge storms that knock down trees, all that stuff, which happens everywhere in the country. But yeah, yeah. and then earthquakes, which happen. Yeah, you know, then and then fires. fires yeah, and then. I don't know, Kelsey Grammer driving around in his Dodge Viper when he's high as hell, spacking into stuff. That guy knocks things down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, you got Tiger Woods out there flipping yeah. his car off of yeah. cliffs and stuff. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Helicopters just crashing into things. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and all of it is extremely fragile, you know? And so on top of that, a lot of the stuff is just old. You know, you're just like you were saying, it's just ancient. You know, the other problem, these these things, they're just ancient. Most electric transmission and distribution lines were constructed in the 1950s and early 60s with a 50-year life expectancy, you know, and we're 20 years past that. And more than 640,000 miles of high-voltage transmission lines in the lower 48 state are at full capacity right now. Like they're running at full or higher capacity. Yeah. Today, 70% of the lines and large power transformers are more than 25 years old, and we don't have enough of them in areas of the country to keep up with that kind of demand because of how overtaxed they are. Because people are building more houses and and like taking more electricity. So, you know, populations increasing, all this different stuff is happening. And it's not easy to replace that stuff when it blows. The one of the biggest vulnerabilities are EHV transformers. And they're the technological foundation of our modern electronic civilization as they make it possible to transmit electric power over great distances. And the HV transformer typically is as large as a house, weighs hundreds of tons, costs millions of dollars, and cannot be mass produced, but must be custom made by hand for not just how complex it is, but for what area it's in and how much it's going to be handling and the power distribution, all that stuff. Making a single EHV takes 18 months 
annual worldwide production of these transformers is roughly 200 a year total or produced. Unfortunately, although Nikolai Tesla invented the EHV transformer and the electric grid in the U.S., EHV transformers are no longer manufactured here at all. There hasn't been one made here for 50 years. Because of their great size and cost, U.S. electric utilities have very few spare EHV transformers. So um, there's roughly uh, several thousand, about 2,000 of them in the entire country. There's, I think the last thing I read was there's three spare ones currently. Total. Total. In the whole country. In the whole country. Holy balls. Yeah. So, and the thing I read was like, I think it was a year or two old, you know, so who knows if they need them. So, you know, they they don't keep a lot of these things on stock. So, like, they have to order custom ones. And that, again, that takes 18 months to get one of these things. So, uh, and they have to come from, like I was saying before, from Germany or South Korea because we're not allowed to order them from China anymore. So, we pay 10 times as much for these things, you know. An event that damages hundreds or even as few as nine of the current 2,000 EHV transformers in the United States could plunge the nation into a protracted blackout that could last upwards of six months to several years. Holy shit. If nine of them get damaged. Nine. Nine. Wow. That's, they look at like how the grid is structured. And so like if, if, a, certain, if a very particular nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, um, right. But, you know, something like an EMP would knock out all of them. It wouldn't matter, you know. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, you get, you get 50 dudes with rifles. And if you know what nine that is, that's like game over. You just send them out there and they take care of it. You know? Right, yeah, yeah. Put them on dirt bikes, run them out to where these things are, and they just shoot them up, you know. So whether it's a fire attack, old age, whatever, our aging electrical grid is as bad as pipelines. You know, it's in much worse shape than the supply chain. Uh, and there's just way more cons than there are than pros to these things. And fixing them will take way longer than breaking them. As a society, we just openly ignore this. It's not, it's not something we talk about. You know, there's fictional books written about it. They make some movies. People talk about EMPs here and there. But overall, it's just something we don't discuss and it's ignored. We just pretend like it's fine. And that is going to bite us in the ass horribly one day. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's terrifying. It's a really insane topic that no one is talking about. It just, it makes me crazy. It took Dr. Pry 20 years of screaming from the rooftops and inside of Congress. He would go and he would go in front of Congress all the time. It took him 20 years to get anyone to take it seriously. And the only person that ended up taking him seriously was Trump, which is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. You know? And <laughs> it's really shocking and sad. And we really have to invest in fixing these systems now or we're going to be investing in massive amounts of body bags down the road. I mean, there's really no other, no other option. You know, Dr. Pry was saying that there were military people doing uh, estimates and the estimates were that we could lose half of the people in the United States. One out of two people would die, which is ins- That's crazy. That's absolutely insane. And that's over a year of, of having no power, you know? So, I don't know. You know, that's that's kind of I think the electrical grid is the scariest of kind of the three topics we were talking about. Yeah. Because of how big and how fragile it is. Yeah. Um and because the grid isn't like the supply chain, where the supply chain is like water running down a hill and you stick a stick in it, the water's just gonna run around it and find new places to go. 
the grid is like a grid. And if you start pulling pieces out of it, it's going to start failing everywhere. You know? Yeah. If I can figure this out to do this podcast, every other country in this country, every other country in this world has dudes talking to the people that run it saying like, this is how we can screw over America. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like Russia probably has an entire department of dudes who just look at this, you know? And I think, I think at the end of the day, like the things we need to do is actually start thinking about ourselves and how we prepare for these sort of things. Yeah. You know, and and I'm not going straight down saying go become a prepper, but I'm saying these are very serious topics to discuss, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with starting a garden and owning a gun and like being okay with these things, you know? Yeah. Look at chickens. You know, look, look at these, these kind of solutions because there may be a day when we need them and there may be a day when these things go south and we're not going to have any warning about it. I think right now the things that are happening in the world are as good of a warning as we're going to get about the upcoming disasters, you know? Yeah. I think if the day after tomorrow, if the power grid just like shut down, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I'd just be like, oh, damn it. I didn't start my garden. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that would be my feel. Like I didn't buy chickens. God damn it. Yeah. You know? You know? And yeah. then and then all I have left is my family and my dogs. And I don't and I don't know where to go from that. Yeah. Know? So I guess I eat my dogs. I don't know. But I it's, don't know. Yeah. It's it's a really terrifying thing, you know? Um Yeah. I mean, I think Texas last winter was a great snapshot. I think it really is. It was just cold and it just snowed. Mm-hmm. And all of Texas was a hundred percent fucked. A hundred people died. Yeah. You know, and it's not like it hasn't gotten that cold before in Texas. It's just, they changed a lot of rules with how their, their power grid works and Texas operates independently. So they decided that the best way to protect their grid was by being independent. And then that screwed them in the end because their grid collapsed and they weren't able to pull power from other States who were more than willing to send it over. Right. But Texas decided to secede from the national power grid and it screwed him over and a hundred people died. You know, yeah. people should go to jail for that. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. And then there was like politicians out here basically just being like, I don't, I don't even remember what they were saying to people, but it was just some shit where it's basically like, just stay home. Yeah. Don't do anything. Right. Dudes with mansions to death and in your huge, house. Yeah. Dudes with mansions and huge fireplaces were like, you should stick around at your house when most of the people live in cardboard apartments with very thin walls and no heat, you know? Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. And then, uh, you know, who was it? Uh, was it Ted Cruz went to like, went to like Puerto Rico or something during that whole, the Costa Rica. Yeah. They were in Mexico. Yeah. His family just like flew to Mexico. He's like, well, I thought it'd be fine. Yeah. Why not just go to Cabo if it's cold? My girls said they wanted to go. Yeah. So. It was there. He blamed them, blamed them and his wife. Like they had said they had to go somewhere. I don't know. You know, and then he had to rush back and like hand out toilet paper to people. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And it's that level of response is what we're going to get from the government when the big problem happens. Yeah. It's going to be dudes twiddling their thumbs, sitting on their butts, not able to do anything. And chances are, if the power's out, we won't even know who they are or what they're doing because we're not going to have any news or any connection with them. We're not going to be able to see what they're tweeting. Right. You know, it's just going to be us on our own. And like, how well do you know the guy across the street? How well do you know the guy across, like, 
catty corner to you? Like, are they people that are going to come over and try to take your food? You know? Yeah. Where are you going to be with that? You yeah. Know? I don't know. Yeah. It's Plus, scary. I mean, the power's out. What are you going to do with all that food in your freezer? Yeah. Anyway, it's going to go bad. Yeah. Cook it, salt it. What I mean, what can you do? You know? Yeah. And if like, do you know how to like salt meat? No, I know how to make jerky. Yeah. But I mean, you're not going to be able to like Google how to do it. Jerky, honey <laughs> jerky doesn't stay that long either. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I don't you know. know. It's it's a problem. There's a lot of I have of a issues. vacuum sealer. Oh, there you go. But it won't run because you got to plug it in, don't you? Uh, I'd have to do it in advance. I'd have to prep. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah, or, or get one get of the a new generator. Get one of the new F150s. Apparently, you can power, power a house for three days off of it. Holy shit! Yeah, the new all electric F150. The Lightning. Yeah. F150 Lightning. Yeah. yeah. It's supposed to be pretty cool. I don't know. Looks cool. Yeah. MSRP forty thousand dollars. Go buy one. I guess. I don't know. That's not terrible. Yeah. Ford sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> give me a lightning. I'm yeah. about to buy a Forerunner. Yeah. So give me one of those instead. That'd be dope. But yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's all I got. Hopefully, I uh, thoroughly freaked out enough people that they decide to go get a couple extra cans of foods or uh, or a chicken or something. You know. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to put a little coop in my backyard. Have bees. You got some space back there. Yeah. I say go for it. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us for episode three of our infrastructure series and the very last official episode of season one. Thank you for sticking with us and we will see you again next season. See you in season two. joining us for this episode of Brew Luminati. Our intro and outro music is written by Dungeness. Want to learn more about the topics we cover and who we are? Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Luminati Podcast for behind the scenes content and updates. Do you have mystical powers of insight or just questions, suggestions, and feedback? Reach out to us at thebrewluminati at gmail.com. Are you ready to immerse yourself into the inner circle? Visit patreon.com slash Podcast. For the same price as a cup of coffee or sandwich you won't remember, you know, because of mind control, you can join the Brewluminati and lift the veil on the true mysteries of the universe. Your membership to the Conclave unlocks access to our secret Discord server, bonus Patreon-only content, behind-the-scenes talks, and much more. Every dollar spent not only helps us reveal the truths of the world, but also frees us to make the show better, weirder, and allows us to go deeper and deeper into the void while funding our next beer run. When we're not talking conspiracies and beer, we're passionate about saving the forgotten puppies and kitties of the world. 10% of every dollar you donate goes directly to the Best Friend Pet Adoption Agency. They are a local 501c3 all-breed, all-foster cat and dog rescue that will save the life of a pet who never had a chance. Keep an eye out because we'll be posting pictures of the lives our listeners save. For more information on Best Friend Pet Adoption, head over to bfpa.org. Join us again next week for another episode of Brew Luminati. We know you will, because again, mind control is real. Mm-hmm.